Question number one, sir. Yes, sir. Are you an organized or a disorganized person? For example, what would your office desk look like? I am disorganized, but not chaotic. There's a difference. Okay, but what does your desk look like? My my desk. Don't ask my wife. No, but there's a, there's a thing that comes up a little later that I actually use the island in our kitchen primarily for my desk, and that's not her happy thing because things tend to be scattered around. Uh, but my wife is quite organized, not a control freak, so she helps me with that. If you came to our house, it looks fairly. Orderly. That's an acceptable answer. Okay. Second question. Some people seem to be focused in their version of the gospel on what we're saved from. Uh, get saved so the punishment for your sins won't come upon you. But what are we actually saved for and into? I love this question because there's few things more important to me than Christians learn to enjoy the journey. That... If you don't start now, I sort of worry a bit about what it's going to be like on the other side for you. I tell people, sometimes I almost feel guilty for how much I enjoy life. But I actually believe this. There's a verse that intrigues me. God made his acts known to Israel, but he made his ways known to Moses. And I have this thing. It's been a cry of my heart for a long, long time. Jesus, teach me your ways. Because I believe the more I know his ways, the more... If I can put it this way, the more fun life gets. The better my marriage, the more effective my relationship with others. I believe it even can affect my health and finances and everything else. The way of the transgressor is hard. It may not always look like it for a season, but even this, and, and I, I could go on for a long time on this, but even in the realm of beauty, you show me a person who follows Jesus with peace in their heart, they become more attractive as the years go by. And you show me someone who's full of bitterness and resentment, and it's just they deteriorate dramatically. So you were not just saved for heaven, although that's important. But you were saved for an amazing life here and now. And anybody that misses that does a great injustice. I often say a long-faced Christian should be an oxymoron. I've asked Jesus to let me walk with the light spirit, no matter what. And that's when, on my way to church this morning, I get a letter from, or a note, whatever you want to call it, from a guy in Nepal. I'm sorry, northern India, Jagannath. I have so many that I write to, telling me his close friend died from COVID, along with the son. And there's now a wife and two children left. And that's the stuff, that's putting a fist in my gut. But if I take on everything, I'm no good to anybody. And I, I say, Jesus, it's your burden. That, to me, is what we're saved to. Even in sorrow, we do not sorrow as those who have no hope. Yes, we have tough times. Nobody said it was going to be a picnic the whole way through. But living with Jesus, for Jesus. Do you know the songs you sang this morning? Full of hope, full of amazing. I got goosebumps just thinking about it. So what job, other than your own, would you like to attempt, and what job would you hate to try to attempt? So something I don't want to spend much time on, I'll more read. I was a dairy farmer before becoming a pastor. That was in 1985, and I actually love being a farmer, and I probably could enjoy going back to that. My wife doesn't think I would, but anyway, 
because, and it would be hard at my age. <laughs> You'd have to start over learning a lot of things. Um, when I came home from Ohio after pastoring a small church there for five years, sorry, I uh, went back to nurses training. Dad asked me to help him there in the nursing home, got my administrator's license, and <laughs> it's hard now for me to imagine doing anything else because I really, really love it. Um, I think it would have to be something in the area of people and caring for people. And what I would hate is anything that sat me at a desk like an accounting, engineering, computer programming. That would absolutely destroy my life. Question four. Parents of children experience the children going through major transformation from ages one to 50. What parenting advice would you give differently to parents at the different stages? Mm -hmm. This is about an hour and a half sermon, Tim. <laughs> Here's something, I shared this quite often, that when we started our family, I was worried about uh, when Polly was pregnant with our first child. I got really worried about being a daddy and bringing a child into this world. And, I wrote to a number of people that I respected highly the job that they did and said, give me your advice, give me your counsel. And we got some interesting things back. My wife and I kind of disagree about what that was. It's so long ago, we I can't be sure I remember things well, but I gotta make this shorter than I, I could talk about it for a long, long time. But there was one scripture that became the motto of my life, unless the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. And so I would say make sure that's always your theme. But here's the other thing that I would say, and I'm going to read for a little bit. Give God his tools. I read this morning as I read Proverbs and Psalms every morning when I get up, that if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. You don't reason with a two-year-old. Now, the time comes soon enough when you have to sit down and talk about things. So let me finish reading. My children would tell you I was a disciplinarian, but you ask them to remember a spanking, they don't have many. By the way, your children belong to the Lord, not you. Keep that in mind, no matter what age they are. God knows how to discipline your children if they won't listen. It's not your job after a certain age. But one thing I would say, and this is taking me longer, breaking the law your children need to know if they break the law, you're not going to stand in the way of the law doing what needs to be done. I know people that bail their children out. They save them. They don't do that. But don't ever forget the Lord must build the house. And pray for I don't think it's very I don't, it's silly to think you can do this on your own. So always go to God in prayer. Number five. What's something that you do that annoys Polly? Not a thing. Oh, okay. All right, number six. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I already told you about my desk. It's in our kitchen. And about once a day, I hear, when will you ever learn to put your stuff away? So that bugs her. Uh, maybe not once a day. Um, Wait, what stuff? My books, my junk that's there, my computer that sits there. It's sacred ground for me. And I love that spot. And I know we don't have a good place for me to have my own little office and desk. She keeps saying we gotta do something about that. But that's my place. And I don't like taking everything away just because 
it's the kitchen. So sometimes that gets a little bit uh, touchy between us. What's the other thing I wrote about? You want to talk? Honey, you can answer this question. I'm just going to piggyback on your pre... Does it ever annoy her when you spank her? I've never spanked joke. That was a joke, people. Relax. Relax. But she also doesn't care for it if I'm not listening very well. You know, like she's talking to me, and I'm listening, but it doesn't look like it. And she'll say, would you like... Yeah, when you... And then, and then it, she doesn't really like it if we're somewhere and I'm on my phone or whatever. But that's, you know, I mean, that, what, what's so bad about that? No, I, it isn't. Sometimes Carrie will be annoyed at me in public and she'll try to give me these subtle signals. And I'll be like, why are you kicking me under the table? <laughs> and that works real well. Go on. Number six, why do you encourage, this surprised me the other day when you said this. Why do you encourage Christians to give 20% instead of 10? It's another hour and a half sermon. Um, first of all, uh, God loves a cheerful giver. By the way, if you want to really work at something, work at giving with joy. Just make sure you do it with joy. Um, the one thing I often tell people is, Tithing isn't giving. And again, this takes a long time to go back to. I was um, headed to the first time to Tanzania. And on my way there, I felt like God spoke to me and said, I want you to learn on this trip. I've got some things I want to teach you. And I want you to be a learner, not thinking you're the big teacher. And I said, so what's that supposed to look like? And I felt like the first thing he said was let others speak more often which was interesting, I had messed up my, this story could take an hour, but anyway, messed up my schedule, so I had to call people from Kenya. Uh, Dylan Kramer was gonna go with me, and couldn't, anyway, it's too long of a story. So I ended up calling people from Kenya, they got there, and the seminar started a day ahead of me, and it was one of the best things that could have happened, because that whole community, those two churches have now just been back and forth ever since. But I was in um, Amsterdam on my way to Kilimanjaro, and I saw some people that looked like pastors, and I went over to them, and I said to them, you look like you might be pastors. And yes, they said, we're Seventh-day Adventists coming from the U.S. back to Tanzania. And I said to them, so what do you teach as Seventh-day Adventists about how to get to heaven? And they said, we teach that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And I gave them high fives. I said, praise God, that's our message. And there was this little guy standing there, and he looks at me, and he says, we're the fastest growing church in the world. And I said, you are? How are you doing it? Now, remember, I'm supposed to be a learner. And I'm thinking, I'm going to hear what this guy says. And he looks at me, and he says, 98% of our people give 20% of their income to the church. 10% is to go to fulfill the Great Commission. 10% is to maintain the church. And then he said, we teach tithing isn't giving. It's just not stealing what belongs to the Lord. And I said, that's plagiarism. That's my word. I've been saying that forever. And of course it was. I mean, he didn't get it from me, but... Uh, he went on to say, and our people are doing better as they give more. And I thought, he said, this is true in Tanzania, it's true in, he named uh, South Korea, Tanzania, and I forget which other country, countries that aren't known for wealth. 
And when he said that, it was like the Lord, I got an hour and a half talk about this. It was like the Lord spoke to me and said, if they can do it in South Korea and Tanzania, they can do it in America, take it back home. So I've been preaching it everywhere I go. So you, you came to this by a conversation with some Tanzanian Christians. Tanzanian Seventh-day Adventist Christians. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, I was like, I wonder if I do that. You know, I'd been tithing diligently but, and giving extra. And I thought, I sure don't want a Seventh-day Adventist to show up a Mennonite. No, I didn't. <laughs> no. Competition, huh? No, it wasn't. When you were a kid, what got you excited? Yeah, I loved the Baltimore Orioles. I was around in the days of uh, Boog Powell Brooks. Huh? Yeah, look at you. Anyway, so I, I would get so excited. Sometimes I'd be, do a pretend announcement and got caught doing that one time. That embarrassed me, whatever. And, I, and by the way, I'm still the one guy left that still likes the Orioles, I think. Wait a minute. You mean you were pretending to be the announcer? Yeah, when Boog Powell was hitting a home run. By, I, I mean, you know, it's, it's time. Anyway, so I still enjoy. Back then, it was the Bullets, Earl the Pearl Monroe. Oh, I loved Earl the Pearl Monroe. But we, this, is, this is church, so I don't want to go too much into that. And today, I still enjoy the Wizards. I still enjoy, they're now in Washington, but I'm an, basically a Baltimore guy. I enjoy the Ravens. Uh, back in the day, I enjoyed hunting. One time, I had killed the seventh largest or highest scoring buck in Delaware, which has fallen down quite a way since then. But I'm not much of a hunter anymore. What still gets you excited that you loved as a kid? You know, I don't, I don't know. I didn't golf when I was young, but I love to golf now. I enjoy so many things, Tim. I love good food. <laughs> I, life's good. My wife is an incredible person to share life with. We have wonderful children, grandchildren. I, I like I said, I almost feel guilty at how much I enjoy life, but I don't know. Going back to my childhood, what got me excited? I'm not as happy to have a birthday these days. Yeah, when you're young, especially my 16th birthday. Number eight, a friend of mine recently told me he's falling, or yeah, failing in the area of sexual purity and that he hates it. It makes him miserable. All he wants to do is please God. What advice would you give to him? So I have a statement that covers a lot of areas of moral bondage that I love to say. Um, shows up in our struggle with sexual purity, but goes far beyond that. Includes a struggle you might have with anger, with honesty, with bitterness, and it can probably roll over into alcohol and drugs, and whether that's the cigarettes or whatever or overeating. My statement is this, that God doesn't clean his fish before he catches them. So that one of the most important things anyone can discover in the battle with sexual purity, but any other besetting sin or any other thing you struggle with, is that Jesus cleans us. Not a, we don't clean ourselves. So for me, the one of the most life-changing things is every day going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I'm yours and everything I have belongs to you. I can't change my own heart, but you can. 
And I'm giving you not only permission, I'm begging you, please do that work in my life. One of the first things you must learn is there's none righteous, not one. That includes you and me. We must know that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and it doesn't take very hard to convince yourself. It doesn't take very much to convince yourself that you're entitled to some things and you're in whatever. So I remind us, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Those that take some time to grieve over their sin, it's a very foolish thing to think that what I've done in violation of God's law, whether that's sexual sin or anything else, the unforgiveness, slander, dishonesty, it's a very foolish thing to think that it's not hurting anyone else. I hate it when I hear that phrase. I, it's not, you know, no, it hurts. By the way, when you allow moral breakdown in your life, it affects those under you as a pastor. So don't think it's a little thing. If you're a dad, I could tell you some stories that haunt me, haunt me, of people that have been affected by the behavior of their own parents. And then it was, you wouldn't, you wouldn't understand it. You can't, there's no explanation for it except that there is something that happens in the spiritual realm. So take some responsibility for what you do, what you look at, what you think about. Jesus actually said, if you look with lust on a woman, it's adultery. And I don't know quite how to share this with people, but I will tell you again, the consequences. I don't, Tim would know this about me. I don't, I'm not much to jump all over people for being who we are. We're sexual creatures with curiosity and uh, sexual drives. And it doesn't take very long for a child growing up to become very conscious of it. And many times, listen to me carefully here, Satan loves to have something happen early in your life that makes you feel your damaged goods. It's a lie. Whether it's something you did or something someone did to you, you're still a child of the king, and putting labels on people needs to stop. Yes, it does. Amen. When you come to Jesus, he makes all things new. And by the way, it's every day. Today's a new day. I feel for people that have been caught into habits. I feel so sorry for them. But it's not the end. It's not the final story. But it's not, e it's not going to be helpful to say it doesn't matter either. So sin hurts people, including those that we love the most. When there's moral failure on our part, those under us suffer. And if you've had a moral breakdown, here's one thing that I would say. Some people try to make it up. No, you don't make some things up. You need forgiveness. And trying to make up what you've done wrong, first of all, is an unbearable burden on you, and it's unfair to those you've hurt. You can't make some things up to people. You accept forgiveness, and you invite Jesus to change your heart. Tim, I don't have anything beyond that to say. Number nine, what smell brings back great memories? So I thought about that. <laughs> you know, what do you associate smell with? Good food? Um, my grandpa had peppermint that he would always have, and I'd sit on his lap, so I think of that. 
dad used to have those little sin sins or whatever they are, them little dark things in church. When he wanted us to be quiet, he'd give us one of them. I don't know. I still love certain places you go. You know, this floods you with memories. Let's move on because time's moving. Well, just because you said that, it makes me want to slow down. By the way, that's human nature too, but God's supposed to deal with that. <laughs> Question 10. Why do you love introducing people? Every time I'm with you, you seem to have a fresh story. Oh, yeah, uh, sorry, I was two minutes late. I was over at such and such place with him. He was a re he's a retired guy. I led him to the Lord. He's I just visiting him, checking in on him. So the message of Jesus is absolutely the best message in the world. And, and uh, the more you are convinced of that, the more you want to share it. And I love sharing the story of Jesus. By the way, I've lived long enough to see Jesus change lives. I've seen the impact that he's made. I have seen what happens when people go from death to life, darkness to light, and I love it. I actually believe that if anyone stands before God without having been introduced to Jesus and having put their faith in him for salvation and forgiveness, that they will answer for their sins. Last night, I spent about a half an hour sitting and talking. I was asked to come to the rest home to do like a chaplain visit for a guy that's dying. And he couldn't respond very well. And while I prayed for him, I thought of a lady down the hall that I have talked to a number of times, but not for a long time. First time I talked to her, I shared the gospel with her and asked her if she was ready to pray. She said, no, not yet. And she's probably 90. And I said, when are you going to get ready? And she said, I don't know. And then she said to me, do you have to be, make this commitment to stay in your nursing home? And I said, no, if you want to go to hell and still live at my house, you can, but it's not a good idea. And she says, chalk one up for Mark but she didn't respond. So I went in last night and I shared Jesus with her because I actually believe what I tell people. Man, I have so much to say about this. Um, I was in Thailand a number of years back and you know, it would be considered one of those uh, unreached areas. And we went to a mall, seven story mall. And I don't know why. I was so, I don't even know the words that to explain what I felt there. As people, young people, all age people, were living the life of a party. They were going shopping, they were eating good food, they were going to movies, they were socializing, they were on their phones, and they looked happy. And I was like, Jesus, how do you share Jesus with people that don't even know they need Jesus? And one of the missionaries there, I said, isn't that a bit discouraging to try to be a missionary in this setting? And she looked at me and she said, Mark, it's not all the way you think it is. For under that facade is deep hurt. And besides, without Jesus, people don't get to heaven. And I realized she's right. And that's my message. So it's fun to tell people this incredible news. Our message isn't very complicated, and the more you believe it's God's work, the more you relax in the sharing. You don't have to do it perfect. Man, I could go on a long time here. What I love to share with people 
is that they come, the light comes on. I can tell they understand my message. It's not my job to convince. My dad had a saying, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. But when we're done, people should know what our message is. Jesus died for sinners. Without him, you're lost. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But one more quick thing, Tim. While I love sharing the gospel, my motivational gift is to see people grow up. I'm an exhorter by spiritual gift. That means I want you to figure out how to live for Jesus so that you're enjoying the journey. I want you to get saved, but stillborn births are discouraging. And babies that never develop the ideal, the what should be is that people grow up. Listen to me, if you're a baby in diapers as a Christian, grow up. Take some responsibility. Question 11. Do you have a favorite meal? Yeah, let's go through this quickly because it's almost dinner and you guys are going to be hungry by the time I get done saying this. You don't have to be a very close observer (laughs) (laughs) to know I love to eat. I also say that one way I know I am supposed to be doing what I do and the mission travel and so on is I love the food wherever I go. I actually enjoy goat meat. I like soups that have glands in and body organs in them that I don't really know what they are. (laughs) I've had soup with the chicken head that still had the beak and comb and some feathers on it, looking up, uh, eyes, eyes looking up at me, and I didn't mind. I ate it, no problem. I didn't have to eat the head. By the way, that day I was a guest of honor, and I had this huge gizzard. I don't know how those little chickens can have such huge gizzards. And it was my job to eat that gizzard. And finally, I swallowed it whole after chewing on it for a long time. <laughs> anyway, so I tell people, I love the food wherever I go. I love eating fried green bananas for breakfast in Tanzania as we sit together and look out towards the Mount of Kilimanjaro. I love eating chicken with rice and curry on the backside of nowhere in India on a um, plate made of plant leaves with brown juice running out the bottom. I love it. I wish I could have some right now. <laughs> I could go on here. Yeah, a few years back I was in Albania, invited home after church to a, this family gathering. Oh man, the food was just incredible. I've learned to love rice and fried cabbage the way they make it in Kenya. And there's a phrase somewhere, something you would slap your mama for. Where did that come from? I don't know where that phrase came It's not a nice phrase, but something I thought of that. Man, I thought I would love to have some of that fried. Good, make you want to slap your mama. <laughs> anyway, I don't know what. So, but, but here's the interesting thing. My wife is a fabulous cook, and I don't come home and ask her to make fish and, I mean, chicken and curry and fried bananas because I love her food and I like fried oysters. Go on, let's quit. (laughs) So I enjoy Mexican, Chinese. I I just love to eat, I'm sorry. You said that lately you've been praying every morning. Correct, pretty much. With almost a heart of yearning and grief for the Father to speed the day of the Lord's return Mm -hmm. and to help you behave today in such a way that also speeds his return. So Jesus prayed 2,000 years ago, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's time. Satan's day has been long enough. 
Isn't it time that you end this? And isn't it time for the righteous judge? You know, one of the things I read recently in one of my Psalms where the psalmist said, stir yourself. I think that's my prayer many mornings. God, isn't it long enough for Satan to have his day, to inflict his pain and suffering, to lie to people? Isn't it long enough for people to be abusing the strong, taking advantage of the weak? And I don't think we need to be angry at God with it because at the end of the day, it's a very foolish thing not to trust him. But it's also our job. If we're his body, we're his eyes and ears. He's in this head that's very well protected, if I can put it that way. And his nerves, fingers and eyes and ears need to report back to the head. It's long enough. Years ago, I was doing prison ministry and I heard those stories and I said, I almost lost my faith over it. I said, God, it's not right. You have no right to condemn people that have gone through this kind of thing. If you were born with our sin nature and put in their places, you'd be just like them. So let's end it. There's so much we need to pray about so, so that God says, I've heard the cry of my people. I believe he's hearing it from heaven because Revelation says that. The people of heaven are saying, how long, O oh Lord, are you going to let, let this carry on? Let's join them. Jesus, it's been long enough. It's time for your kingdom to come and your will to be done. 13. What do you hope people will remember about you when you're gone? <laughs> so I grew up uh, not thinking I was like very much at all and probably wasn't like very much at all. I've been very obnoxious in my personality along the way hot-tempered and so on. And I think through that, I developed a bit of a tough skin of saying, I don't really care what people think about me. And yet I did. And so I'm sure that, <laughs> that there's still plenty of that there, but one of my regular statements is, at the end of the day, I don't really care what people think. I care about what God thinks. I have this mental picture that I see almost every day, and it might not be accurate at all, but for me, it's a table with books, and I'm in a chair, and the Father, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit on the other side, and I have to give an account. And I always say to people, when I'm there, I don't really care what anybody else thinks. But having said that, I do care. People matter to us, relate, we're in relationships. I'm blessed with six children, 24 grandchildren, I kind of think I'll be remembered in some way. I try my best to invest in them in a way that they appreciate their grandpa. I have an incredible wife. If she outlives me, I think she'll miss me. There's a, I often say there's a man in the Bible. If you would have put something on his tombstone, it would have been, here lies the man that sought the Lord. And that was Jehoshaphat. For the next few generations, his children, one of his children died, grandsons or great-grandsons died, and they gave him a burial because his grandfather was one who sought the Lord. So I kind of like to be known as one who never gave up trying to seek the Lord, that I've always said that's more important than anything else. I think it'd be funny to put on my tombstone, he meant well. <laughs> you know, people often tell me that, and I often challenge them. I say, you want to say that, but there were a few times you didn't mean so well. You were just plain oh, ignorant. You're ruining my, my tombstone. Oh, okay. 14, what sound or noise do you love? So, to speed this up, let me read. I love the music of the church, and I have a special, 
<laughs> love for a cappella singing. I love four-part harmony and a good men's quartet. Boy, that's great. But I, anything. Uh, I, I, again, do you, do, you, do you know every question you ask somebody about something specific just brings so many different things and experiences. Polly and I, a few years back, were in, um, this was, when we were in Romania, did we, what was that city? Yeah, we were in Budapest. And we met with this about 750 probably people that looked like us, wore head coverings, and the men sat on one side, the women on the other. And they spend, I think we heard somewhere it's like six or seven hours a week singing together. And they, the guy would get up and blow his pitch pipe, <laughs> and off they would go. And it was some, I mean, I get goosebumps thinking about it. I loved that. I felt like I was a little taste of heaven there. I also liked the 60s and 70s music, like Peter, Paul, and Mary, the Seekers. My wife has recently been listening quite a bit to the Seekers, and I've kind of remember how fun that was. John Denver, Simon and Garfunkel. I even liked Elvis and the Beatles and some of those groups. And as to what I hate... I do not enjoy hard rock music with this unrhythm, the rhythm that I can't, that beats on me instead of, you know, flows with me. I hate that. So uh, I expected, you know, the best sound in the world is like breaks, squealing, someone yeah. scratching a chalkboard, the knife on a plate, a baby crying, and somebody yelling my name angrily all at the same time. So wonderful. Uh, next one, 15. You, these two words seem real big for you. Yes, so trust and surrender. A lot of words trigger a story. Trust me. Trust takes me back to when I was a young pastor in Ohio. I mentioned it earlier. We had a ministry going at Ohio State Reformatory in Mansfield, Ohio. I've shared this story quite often, and probably some of you have heard me share it. I was studying, doing a study in the prison there on the Christian home, and I was working with men who had mostly experienced abuse and neglect and rejection. The stories, I, I don't have time. I finally started telling God what I said here a few minutes ago. It wasn't fair. And he didn't have any right to judge people born with a sin nature, raised in those conditions. And I was about to lose my faith. And then one night, I looked into the heavens. I felt like the Lord said, where is this going to take you? And I saw myself, an old man, bitter and angry, having damaged my marriage, my children, and future generations with this bitterness, and I got terrified. I looked into the heavens, and I saw there a vast Milky Way, as pretty as I had ever seen it. And it was as though the Lord said, maybe, just maybe, you can let me answer the hard questions. And I said to the Lord that night, from now on, you answer your own questions, and I'll trust you. I will spend my life telling people the incredible story of Jesus and believe that the righteous judge of all the earth will do right. If you today have taken up an offense against our God because of things you don't understand, I sympathize, but I call you today to realize there's one big enough to answer his own questions. You and I are no... God will stand up under questioning, but we're not able to question without suffering greatly from it. So, no, 
So trust, yes. And then surrender. It's been the theme of my life for the last 10 or 15 years. I've told you the Gibeonite story. When the Gibeonites were owned by Joshua, he was duty-bound to protect them. When you and I belong to Jesus, that's why every day, I don't, I don't, try, I, I don't, can't remember a day I haven't said, Jesus, I'm yours. I invite you today to be my defender, my protector, my provider, my helper. I belong to you. So when something begins to happen, whether it's, and I've, and we have them, I say, the devil scares you with taking something from you, whether it's your health, whether it's your relationships with your children, whether it's your money, it's not yours. Take it up with the owner. If he's okay with you taking it, that's fine. But if he's not, you don't want to mess with my, with the owner of what has been entrusted to me. And by the way, I could tell you some amazing stories of how God defends. So how do I become a Christian? Let me make this very, very simple. If you want to get married, you say, I do. There comes a time when you have made up your mind, this is the one I'm going to live with. You can shack up. You can share beds and breakfasts and checkbooks. But until you say, I do, you're not married. There are a lot of people that have good feelings about Jesus. They want to be forgiven. They talk about forgiveness. They even ask for forgiveness. But that's a different thing than giving your life to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I'm yours. I do give you my life because I know without you I'm lost. And let me just say this. I believe it has to happen one person at a time individually. And sometimes people don't say, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I had a young guy in our church say that. He was about, at the time, he was about 14. I said, are you married? And he laughed. He said, of course not. I said, well, if you know if you're married or not, you should know if you're saved or not. Were you baptized? Did you ever say yes to Jesus? Let's not make this more complicated than it is. If you want to be a Christian today, you bring your life to him. You're lost without Jesus. I tell people, you don't have to understand everything. You don't even have to be very old to know that without Jesus, you're lost. You must come to him. The day comes when you say publicly before the whole world, I am yours and I invite you into my life. Either you've done that or you haven't. The Christian faith says when you do that, you should be baptized. It's amazing to me how many people claim to be Christians and weren't baptized. Come on now. That's like living with your girlfriend instead of getting married. And the local church ought to mean something to us. So if you want to be saved today, I usually carry. I didn't, pre- I didn't come prepared. I am embarrassed. I was going to bring my cards today to, for anybody that wanted them. And I forgot. But I, I have a written out surrender to Jesus prayer. And I try to carry this wherever I go. This, my commitment to Jesus, is a simple prayer, and it says, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me, and a few more things. Today I bring my life to you, and there's a place at the bottom with a date to sign it. And by the way, it isn't magic, but when you mean it, he begins to make all things new. I don't know how you do your altar call, but I'm already way late compared to what I was supposed to be. Let's stand together. You know what? He asked for an altar call. 
I have this one paper. Does anybody here this morning that says, I know I've never given my life to Jesus? You can come and take this, and if anybody else needs one, we'll prepare something and invite. But it's a simple prayer today. I often say in this wedding analogy, if you ever go to a wedding ceremony, you're just impressed with how simple the little ceremony is. Do you take this woman at your side to be your wife? You say, I do a couple times, it changes your life forever. You can get out of it with pain and suffering, but it's not simple. Today, if you come to Jesus and mean it and say, Jesus, please, please, please come and forgive and save me. Nothing will ever be the same again. It'll never be the same again. Do you want to come? Anybody want to come? You can have this card. There are people here who will talk to you. You know, I never have wanted to make this this terribly frightening thing. When I was a boy, we sang six verses of Just As I Am. And we wondered how long we could hold out. There are young people that are trying to hold out. Don't hold out on Jesus. As the old lady, 90-some-year-old, sometime, I'm thinking, when? Let's pray together. Father, I love you and this church and these people and this message of Jesus and his love and his forgiveness. I love the songs that were sung this morning that very, very effectively shared this message. And I pray, oh God, I pray today you'll touch our hearts in new ways with your incredible good news. Lord, don't let us go home the same as we came. Let our lives be changed. Let us renew our covenant with you to be your people. We have this incredible promise. I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Build the church here, Lord. Those that come and gather from week to week, be with Tim as pastor, leader. Lord, may your favor be here, we pray. In Jesus' name.